Hello out there. Welcome to the Opportunity Starts at Home podcast, where we take a deep look at opportunity in America today and how housing fundamentally shapes that opportunity. This is your host, Mike Kaprowski. I'm the National Director of the Opportunity Starts at Home campaign. Research is increasingly showing that housing is a foundation for virtually everything. It predicts what kind of neighborhood you'll grow up in, the quality of school you'll attend, your access to transportation and amenities. Housing shapes segregation patterns, the crime levels of your surroundings, job opportunities, exposure to certain health risks, your friends and social networks. Housing policy is school policy, health policy, economic policy, civil rights policy, and more. Few things shape our opportunity more than housing. We have lots of evidence about it, and yet housing is often overlooked by our leaders and our policymakers. This is our 10th podcast episode, and we spoke with United States Senator Todd Young, who is a first-term Republican from Indiana. He currently serves on the Senate Committees on Foreign Relations, Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, Commerce, Science, and Transportation, and Small Business and Entrepreneurship. Before we get into the conversation with Senator Young, a little bio about him. Right after graduating from high school, he enlisted in the Navy and then got an appointment to the Naval Academy. He served in the Marines as an intelligence officer, earned an MBA from the University of Chicago, spent a year abroad earning a master's from the University of London. He returned to the States, worked for the Heritage Foundation, and then as a legislative assistant in the Senate. Then went back to Indiana, earned a law degree from Indiana University, worked at a small law firm, and then ran for the House of Representatives and won. He was a representative starting in 2011, and then in 2016 won a Senate seat. I also want to give you a little background about why we wanted to do a podcast with him about housing. In his relatively short time in the Senate, uh, Senator Young has been one of the more prominent voices in the housing affordability space. He's introduced two pieces of legislation, both of which the Opportunity Starts at Home campaign has supported. One is a bill that would create a bipartisan affordable housing task force in Congress. The task force would study the affordability issue and ultimately make recommendations to Congress. It now has 14 bipartisan co-sponsors, Maria Cantwell, Democrat from Washington, Angus King, an independent from Maine, Dean Heller, Republican from Nevada, Tim Kaine, a Democrat from Virginia, Doug Jones, Democrat from Alabama, Cory Gardner, Republican from Colorado, Marco Rubio, Republican from Florida, Chris Coons, a Democrat from Delaware, John Kennedy, a Republican from Louisiana, Lisa Murkowski, a Republican from Alaska, Gene Shaheen, Democrat from New Hampshire, Maggie Hassan, a Democrat from New Hampshire, Elizabeth Warren, Democrat from Massachusetts, and Amy Klobuchar, Democrat from Minnesota. The task force bill really emphasizes the multi-sector piece, which of course is what this podcast is all about. The task force would be specifically charged with looking at the housing affordability issue and its effects on education, employment, economic mobility, health, neighborhood opportunity, and really try to quantify the costs incurred in other government programs caused by a lack of affordable housing. The task force would be a group of 18 policy experts, community leaders, and leaders from different sectors, uh, equally appointed by Democrats and Republicans. And uh, once the bill passes, the group would have 18 months to issue their report. And we at the campaign really think it would be an important and momentous step for Congress to do this in a bipartisan way. 
And if you agree, uh, we actually have a letter on our website that you can send to Congress urging them to create the task force. And you can go to opportunityhome.org and click on Take Action. In addition to the task force bill, Senator Young has also co-authored a bill with Senator Chris Van Hollen, a Democrat from Maryland, called the Housing Choice Voucher Mobility Demonstration Act. It's basically a demonstration pilot. The idea is to provide voucher households with expanded access to high-opportunity neighborhoods with lower poverty, strong schools, better job prospects. For those uh, familiar with the research, this is straight out of Raj Chetty. And as we've discussed on the podcast before, Chetty, a Harvard economist, has showed that low-income kids in high-poverty neighborhoods do much better when their families use a housing voucher to move to a lower-poverty neighborhood. They're significantly more likely to attend college, less likely to become single parents, and more likely to earn dramatically more as adults over the course of their lifetimes. And this helps break cycles of generational poverty and produces a positive taxpayer return. The proposal has support in both the House and Senate. It's moving on separate but related tracks. The House version, which was sponsored by Representative Sean Duffy, a Wisconsin Republican, was approved 368 to 19, almost unanimous, and that authorized the demonstration. And then the House Appropriations Committee included $50 million for it. It'd create roughly 2,000 new vouchers and provide services to families. Participating local housing agencies would do a couple things. Uh, inform families with children about the benefits of opportunity neighborhoods. And if families are interested, help them identify housing possibilities in those neighborhoods. Uh, they'd recruit landlords that want to participate in the program, and they'd support families during and after the move. And then, of course, you evaluate for effectiveness to see how it all worked. The campaign has urged the Senate to basically agree with the House and authorize the demonstration and include funding in its final 2019 T-HUD funding bill. It's still unfolding, but we certainly want this to be a reality. So those are the, the weeds of this. And we talked with Senator Young, bigger picture, about why he's prioritized housing affordability, what he hopes for these bills, what he thinks about the role for the federal government in fixing this problem, and much more, including uh, who he's rooting for in the college football playoffs. I, I really enjoyed my time with him. Uh, him and his staff were very welcoming. And I think that you'll hear that housing affordability is something he really cares about tackling and doing so in a bipartisan way. So here's our chat. Thanks, Senator Young, for doing this. Thanks for being here today. We're here in the Russell Senate office building, and uh, we're really pleased that you were able to make the time. Thanks for having me, Mike. So in a relatively short time in the Senate, uh, you've been an important voice on the housing affordability issue. And, you know, as a senator, you can prioritize all sorts of issues in your agenda, but you've put a lot of effort into the housing affordability issue. And I'm wondering if you had kind of a particular aha moment uh, that really kind of caused you to prioritize this as much as you have. Well, when I started campaigning for the United States Senate, I pledged to Hoosiers that uh, I aim to represent every single Hoosier. And so mm -hmm. I, I launched this initiative we've called the Fair Shot Agenda, right. where I travel around the state and uh, I hear from all manner of Hoosiers, especially those in, in uh, uh, you know, lower income brackets mm -hmm. uh, and who are seeking higher opportunities. Yeah. And, and one thing that came up time and again uh, over the course of my meetings is the need for affordable housing and really transcends different income groups as well I've come to discover. So that prompted me to read 
um, a celebrated book by Matthew Desmond yeah. by the name mm-hmm. of Evicted. Sure. And um, Matthew uh, just does a remarkable job in that book of documenting uh, some of the challenges people mm-hmm. uh, face on account of a lack of affordable housing stock and um, how that impacts other areas of their right. life as well. So I decided to work on this on behalf of Hoosiers and since then have really discovered this is a national crisis we're facing. Yeah, definitely. And I think the Desmond's book was an aha moment for a lot of folks. Um, so I'm hoping you could talk about maybe some of the individual stories that you've heard from constituents in Indiana who are struggling to find reasonably priced housing. And I think Indiana might not be the first place that folks think of when they think of the crisis, but there's three places, I think, that rank in the top 20 uh, for highest eviction rates, Fort Worth, Indianapolis, South Bend. I'm a Notre Dame alum, so that's close to my heart. Give us a sense. So, uh, yeah, our second largest city, Fort Wayne, Indiana, in the Northeast, our largest city, Indianapolis, uh, right in the center of the state, and and then way up north is is South Bend, Mm -hmm. Indiana. And uh, as you said, they rank in the top 20 in terms of eviction rates. Yeah. And, and so that, uh, that really tears at one's heart, of course, in, in all our major cities and many rural areas. We sure. have homeless individuals, sure. which is uh, a, a crisis as well. And then, you know, there, there are other sort of affordable housing challenges that I've encountered. Uh, I'll give you some specific examples. Mm-hmm. Warsaw, Indiana and Jasper, Indiana, both vibrant uh, economies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warsaw happens to be... Uh, the orthopedics capital of the world, okay. medical devices, Jasper, Indiana, major manufacturing presence. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't have enough workforce housing there. Yeah. And so uh, they're trying to wrestle with that issue. My former hometown of Bloomington, Indiana, also wrestling with that issue. That's a college mm-hmm. town. Yeah. Kentland, Indiana, a rural community right next to Illinois, says that a, a number of Illinois residents who are wanting to flee high tax rates and move into Indiana cannot because there's not enough affordable housing stock in Kentland and surrounding communities. So really, um, as I travel around the state, I learn about more communities and and the more challenges they're facing with respect to lack of affordable housing. Yeah. And I've been struck at the way that you've talked about this issue in kind of a multi-sector way, that you talk about housing affordability, but you've also emphasized kind of its spillover effects into health, into education, economic mobility. And that really resonates, I think, with our campaign because that's our, you know, we're trying to bring together the different sectors for to push on uh, housing solutions. So what are some of the things that you've heard from other sectors in terms of the affordability crisis? Well, it is indeed. Uh, you know, there's a growing body of research that in, indicates that uh, if you can't find affordable housing, that's going to uh, impact uh, as you said, your health care, mm-hmm. your education, uh, therefore your work prospects yeah. uh, and, and your, your life prospects later on. Uh, it impacts mobility if you happen to be unable to find housing located uh, next to public transport right. options. So um, really, as, as, as you think about different distinct buckets of public policy, almost all of them are impacted in some way by affordable housing, which is why I think we really need to identify and quantify um, how a lack of affordable housing stock, a lack of access to affordable housing um, uh, impacts people in these different areas of of their life. And then that will lay a predicate for uh, specific concrete action. And that's what our legislation does, tries to convene an expert panel that um, not only quantifies the impact of a lack of affordable housing on other government programs, 
but also on life outcomes. Yeah. And I wanted to, now that you brought that up, the, the task force. This is the task force bill, right? And you're really interested in quantifying the costs incurred in other areas because of a lack of affordable housing. And so is, is your belief that there are cost savings elsewhere in the federal budget if we actually invested more in housing programs that were proven to be effective? So, you know, if, if people aren't in stable housing, healthcare costs increase. Um, if kids are not in stable housing, you might need extra intervention programs in schools. So is that kind of where we're headed with the task force is to find... This is about smart government yeah. and smart investment. Um, we're... we're effectively taking a page out of Benjamin Franklin's book, an ounce sure. of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Uh, right? Yeah. And um, understanding that uh, if you invest in affordable housing or you optimize existing programs or you supplant some programs that are failing mm-hmm. Americans and replace them with new innovative um, housing and housing finance solutions, um, then we'll end up with less costly government expenditures later on, and better life outcomes and opportunities uh, for, for people as they go out and try and pursue their dreams. Yeah, I think that the Franklin quote, is a, that's, a, that's a quote that I think uh, Republicans and Democrats could get behind, right? And so I wanted to get at the kind of the bipartisan nature of the legislation that, that you've been pushing. Um, the task force bill, I think last time I checked, is up to 14 co-sponsors, some really conservative senators, some really liberal senators. Uh, the housing voucher mobility demonstration was you and Senator Van Hollen, Democrat from Maryland. Um, and our campaign has been sending letters to Senate pushing on the task force bill. We uh, sent a sign-on letter from our steering committee uh, supporting the voucher mobility demonstration. And so my, my question to you is, you know, during a time when you know, it seems like bipartisan solutions might be few and far between. Uh, do you think there's an appetite in Congress to tackle housing affordability in a bipartisan way? Maybe it's a, is it a sleeper bipartisan issue, maybe? Oh, I, I absolutely think it is. Um, and um, I hope to make it less of a sleeper issue right. in, in, in coming months. But um, as I've held these roundtables in inner city Indianapolis, in, um, you know, in rural Indiana, uh, really in every community, this issue comes up time and again. It transcends red America and blue America. Mm-hmm. It's a purple issue and, and, and one that is inhibiting upward mobility yeah. um, and um, people's, uh, you know, really opportunity to, to live the American dream. Indeed, a lot of people for generations have regarded uh, having safe uh, and affordable and, um, you know, um, basic housing yeah. uh, needs met as, as part and parcel of the American dream. Sure. Well said. Um, the task force bill. Um, so hopefully it, it passes and 18 months or so from now we get a bipartisan set of, of recommendations. And I'm wondering if you had any expectations or hopes for what those recommendations might include and, and whether your sense of what the specific policy solutions might be. Well, I, I think uh, the issue of mobility, that mm. is the ability uh, to utilize government financing um, in, in a more flexible way so that one can locate near where the jobs are located, mm-hmm. near where good schools happen to be, yeah. uh, will be a, a key point of emphasis for this uh, group. So uh, the Housing Choice Voucher Program sure. uh, will, I think, be a point of emphasis, uh, especially in light of the good scholarship that Raj Chetty has, has done Absolutely. on the importance of mobility yeah. recently. Also, the Housing Trust Fund is something that has certainly been discussed up here on, on sure. Capitol Hill in yeah. recent years. Um, I want that uh, program and, and that uh, financing vehicle to be uh, really scrutinized. And, and if there's a way to optimize it 
or even replace it with something that uh, we can all agree works better, that's great. So uh, that will be a point of emphasis. But uh, my hope would be that we get all sorts of recommendations uh, uh, coming out uh, of first the evaluations that occur in a rigorous fashion based on this, you know, this uh, panel of experts. Uh, we should do more policy in this way, frankly, uh, from my standpoint here in Washington. Mm-hmm. And so this is, I think what you're saying is there's there's kind of the demand side of the equation, which would be the vouchers, right, the consumer side of things. And then there's also, I think, supply side solutions as well. Is that kind of how you're thinking about it? That's a great way to think about it. Yeah. And, and, and so um, hopefully this these recommendations will be instructive, not just to us at, at the federal level of government, mm-hmm. But they might also inform what occurs uh, at the state and local level as well, because, of course, there's a lot of intersection there between um, the public policy uh, levers that we have at our disposal um, here at the federal level and uh, uh, those at the state and local level. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And and some folks, so we're talking about federal policy solutions, and I think some folks might say that housing is primarily a, a state and local issue. It's not maybe germane to the national conversation. But I think as your legislation suggests, there is at least some role for the federal government. So I'm curious how you think about the the federal role in the affordability crisis. Well, you know, the federal government's deeply involved in in housing policy. And and based on one philosophical perspective, one could say for better or for worse. But I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. From the mortgage interest deduction uh, to the low-income housing tax credit to uh, vouchers and and, uh, housing trusts, Fund, so on and so forth. So um, much of that, um, in reality, will continue. Um, so funding is one key area where the federal government um, will continue to be uh, involved. We want to make sure that each dollar that is spent, uh, or each tax, uh, uh, you know, expenditure that is utilized, um, goes as far as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and and so that's one key point of emphasis. The other thing that we at the federal level of government need to do with respect to housing policy and frankly all areas of policy is understand that yes, states and localities are laboratories of democracy, but oftentimes uh, best practices aren't uh, widely shared yeah. uh, across geographies. So uh, the federal government can be a repository of, the, of those best practices and provide technical assistance to states and localities. Then of course, and this is really your organization's point of emphasis. Mm-hmm. We spend all manner of money on health care and education and, and food and, and, and other forms of, of uh, public assistance, uh, broadly defined, yeah. uh, across income levels. And if there's ways to optimize that service provision and uh, save some taxpayer money in the process, uh, then um, that's all the better. So uh, on three different accounts, I've just laid out um, that there's an important role for the federal government. Yeah, and there's a there's a fiscally conservative rationale to this, right? That if you know if we can every five new dollars that we put into an effective housing program, there might be eight dollars of savings in education and ten dollars of savings in health, and so there's that rationale to it. This is about allowing people to keep more of their hard-earned money. Yeah. Uh, this is a lot about uh, trying to bring our, our budget, uh, even marginally, uh, more into balance. And of course, this is about improving lives all at the same time. Sure. Wanted to go back. Um, I know you got to go in, in a few minutes, but wanted to go back to the the vouchers and the housing trust fund. And so it sounds like on the vouchers, particularly the mobility piece, you're there. Uh, on the housing trust fund, I wanted to d- dig a little bit deeper and, and find out what you know. You said it, it needs to be scrutinized a little bit more. Wondering if you could elaborate on on the trust fund piece a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, no one should read into my comments. I mean, <laughs> this is um, 
coming up with legislation, uh, working uh, with Senator King on this, mm-hmm. uh, to uh, solicit recommendations from the nation's experts, foremost experts on some areas of housing policy and other areas of public policy is an exercise in legislative humility. So um, I know that there have been some principal disagreements and debates surrounding the Housing Trust Fund. Mm-hmm. I'd like for some of the experts to uh, try and uh, engage in those debates themselves, come out of those debates with some consensus recommendations that they can provide to Congress so that uh, we won't just talk past one another, but we can have some specific solutions based on facts uh, that um, hopefully are, are things we can all live with. Okay, well, I know you got you got to go. There's a, there's a vote, but I wanted to ask one last question. Uh, Quick but very difficult question, and as a as a Notre Dame alum, I am oh, compelled. <laughs> I am compelled to ask you this. Um, so you're a, a Naval Academy uh, graduate, and our two teams played each other in October. And despite Notre Dame being located in your home state of Indiana, you publicly declared support for your alma mater, which is a bold move. I respect it. Yes. Um, I, you know, I'm a military former military guy myself, so I never root against the the academies. But we'll let bygones be bygones. Um, Notre Dame's headed to the college football playoffs, and the the question on my mind is, are you going to root for the Irish in the in the playoffs? I root for the Irish um, every game okay. of the year, except for when they play Navy. All right, that's the uh, correct answer. And, and in the Navy-Notre Dame game, I, I always say this. I always say that uh, I always uh, cheer for who Father Hesper would have cheered for. Uh, Father yes. Hesper went on record years ago he indicating did. that he supported Navy in the Navy-Notre Dame game. He did. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Yes, that's a sore spot for many yeah. of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thanks, sir. We look forward to continuing this this conversation with you. Um, anything else you'd like our listeners to know? Well, I'm just really interested, and uh, they're interest are, are grateful for their interest in and and engagement in the issue of uh, housing affordability. And uh, I would volunteer myself in my office uh, to anyone who's listening. Um, to uh, work together and, and do some good together on this front. Great. Well, we're, we're ready to partner with anybody that's focused on solving the affordable housing crisis. So thanks a lot, sir. Appreciate yeah, your time. Well. Thanks.